0: Hey, this is your host Shane with Radical Rocks. Today we've got a super exciting episode jam-packed full of educational and entertaining information. Thank you for tuning in. Um, Thank you for going to RadicalRocks.com and scrolling down to the bottom and checking out all our social media, signing up for uh, all our YouTube videos, the podcasts, sharing, liking, all that good stuff. Today, we've got a really exciting episode. We're going to go into meteorology, um, what it is, something about it, the details. We're going to talk about gold, some of the details about gold, some of the kind of deeper things about gold. And we're also going to look into some basics on rocks um, as far as igneous rocks, sedimentary rocks, and metamorphic rocks. But we're also going to talk about blue diamonds as an investment. Uh, a three foot scorpion was found. There's other major archaeological finds. We'll do the latest NASA update and talk about a lost mining story and so much more, guys. So let's get right into it. Um, again, thank you for going to RadicalRocks.com uh, and subscribing, especially the YouTube channel. We're getting quite a few uh, subscribers on that, so we're pretty excited. Really good turnout on the podcast as well, so thank you for that. Lots of people joining the social media. Lots of choices when you scroll down to the bottom of the website. So let's get right into it. Um, First thing I want to talk about, um, also a lot of other stuff to talk about that I didn't mention, Vandanite. You know, Vandanite is a beautiful mineral, and I like mineral specimens. I don't have a whole lot of them because it just takes a special effort. I'm into rock hounding and um, silversmithing and lapidary quite a bit. That takes up the bulk of of what I get to do with the rocks and stuff. But, you know, I still go out for the fossils and the minerals um, and all of that good stuff. And Bandanite is a really good one to add to your collection. You can get some really fancy ones all over the place. I get an email from um, Christian's Mineral Collection, and uh, they send me out what they're selling, but they have some beautiful pictures, a little bit of information on some of the mines, and the vandenite that comes from the Raleigh mine is really pretty. It has the brown crystals and then these yellower crystals that are with it. Now, I'm not sure if there's arsenic in that area, but sometimes that can be found along with it. They've got a beautiful amnesite sample here, which is sometimes a greenish hue, but this one is super, super blue from Zapot Mine. I'm not sure what country that's in, but uh, also a Clovalite, which is a beautiful, striking, almost blackish blue with blue kind of uh, highlights here and there uh, called Covalite from the Leonardo Mine in Montana, which uh, is just right across the street from me, basically. So that might be one I want to look up. Also, Vandenite from uh, Lamentos, Mexico, and this one doesn't look like any kind of vandenite that I've seen. The crystals are long, um, almost fibrous in formation, so, uh, quite a sight to see. So too, the azurite uh, is a very elongated crystal form, almost looks like fibrous from the Chin, Morocco that is available deepest darkest blue almost a black blue same thing with another specimen they have from the milpis mine which i know that's in arizona it's azurite with a little bit of malachite but it's in these beautiful crystal formations tromelene of course always a crowd pleaser this beautiful purplish pink more pink than purple from morocco um, can be found and all sorts of other stones that they have that are just beautiful. Rosalite, have you ever seen that one? Uh, this is from the Azer mine, the Bo Azer mine. I'm thinking maybe South America. Um, it is a pink around a crystal filled, uh, which looks kind of like little tiny uh, quartz crystals, could be possibly um, calcite. And then there is quartz casts of calcite from Colorado that is, looks like puffs of snow all stuck together um, with a little bit of dirt on some of them, a little look of dirt. Now, Spratila, right from Mongol Mine in Ireland. I've, you don't see a lot of minerals coming out of Ireland when you start looking at the collections, but this one is a deep, dark, honey brown, Crystal-formed um, mineral specimen that is quite beautiful. So, if you want to look at some really pretty um, mineral specimens, you can go over. And he's not sponsoring the show or anything like that. But kristen it's C H R Christ Christen? Anyway, C H R I S T E N S E N Kristensen mineral collection. All right. So, let's talk about something else besides beautiful gemstones. Because without the other rocks and minerals that formed, we wouldn't have the zones of mineralization that form between these different major formations. We wouldn't have the beautiful gemstones that uh, come from them. These are the bases of what you're looking for. You have your igneous volcanic rocks and your igneous plutonic rocks and then you have your sedimentary rocks and your metamorphic rocks so some of these ones that you might be seeing when you're out in the field and a good book for that's a national audubon society a field guide to rocks and minerals and um, it's about 25 dollars or so for this magazine Um, the latest copy I have is dated uh 2005 it looks like but if you have this you can look at the book and there's a lot of great pictures starting out on page uh let's see it looks like it's it's 703 is the diagram on the picture you'll see some tough at mount lassen and this is a very uh, huge outcrop of minerals. Also, and this is going to be under the igneous volcanic rocks. You want to think about basalt. If you've ever seen devil, the Devil's Postpile, that is actually basalt, which is an igneous volcanic rock. Um, rhyolite cliffs, uh, or rhyolite itself, such as in Yellowstone Park. Um, this is another igneous volcanic rock. Now, you've ever seen uh, black that looks like cool lava, like it flowed like lava? This probably was lava uh, or a basalt. basalt. So um, you know that that is also an igneous volcanic rock. Um, tuff can be found all over the place. Rhyolite in different varieties, such as flow banding can show... Rhyolite with little vesicles in it. Um, Basically, it looks kind of like a granite, has other impurities and minerals that can be mixed up in it. Uh, Sometimes you can find a rhyolite that's highly siliconized that can actually take a beautiful polish. Um, Rhyolite tuff is another one. This looks kind of like a granite, but it is an igneous volcanic rock. um, And many others. Mica can be found in igneous volcanic rocks. Um, as well as olivine. Olivine basalt is something that you can find. Uh, Scoria is uh, another type of lava flow rock, an igneous volcanic rock. We talked about basalt, but there's a lot of different kinds of basalt. There's cinderary basalt, um, basalt with chalcedony. Um, You can find globules of chalcedony amongst the basalt. Of course, we mentioned the olivine. Or you might just find obsidian. Obsidian is also igneous volcanic rock. All sorts of varieties of obsidian, we've done shows on that. Um, You can see rainbow varieties, mahogany varieties. You can see it with uh, different inclusions of different minerals that appear to be snowflakes or dots. Now that moves us on to the igneous plutonic rocks. And these are like the masses of granite that you see when you're going through like this high Sierras in California. Um, This is a uh, batholith or granite giant formation of mineral of rock which is igneous platonic rock. Granite boulders, granite blocks. Uh, Garbo is also in the classification of igneous platonic rocks. You also have uh, granite pegmatite. You have granite pegmatite with different formations in it. You have hornbund granite. You have other types that are also the igneous platonic rocks. Granite pegmatite with a graphic granite can be quite beautiful. Looks like little V's all over the place in the rock. White with little black V's more or less, Vs and Ws, that type of a shape. Um, you have carbonitrite. You have hornblende granite pegmatite, zoned granite pegmatite. You have biotite granite, hornblende biotite granite, all sorts of mixes. Um, you can have feldspar in that too sometimes. Monzonite. This uh, looks like a granite, very um, granite looking, with white and darker dots all over, all kinds of granite. So hard to tell one from the other. Um, But when you look at these, they all tell different stories of how that part of the earth is uh, formed. And it will tell you stories when it meets up against other minerals What might you find? What kind of mineralization? What kind of gemstones? What kind of lapidary material? What kind of minerals? All of those things are important. Now that moves us into sedimentary rocks, which of course shale and sandstone. Sandstone can have a lot of different formations. Uh, It can be etched. It can look like it has a checkerboard pattern. That's called cross bedding. It can look like uh, stalagmites. Uh, The bottom part of a stalactite, the stalagmite, or let's see, stalagmite's on the top, stalactite I think is on the bottom, I forget, but it looks like the one that's on the bottom, which is an eroded sandstone, which you can find in Bryce Canyon. Um, Limestone, this is uh, calcium, uh, can be calcium, can be calcium carbonics, um, limestone that formed and weight underneath usually oceans they felt like and then it uprose and was formed as a limestone all sorts of limestones rock salt is actually a sedimentary rock that salt on your table if it's a mine salt that's that's what it is um anthritic coal that is considered a sedimentary rock is uh coal N- not a wood coal that you make but uh, The coal that is dug up out of the ground. Uh, Gypsum rock, which is used for drywall, things like that. Uh, Chert is considered a sedimentary rock that is siliconized, but not quite enough to become a jasper. Um, Shale, or siltstone, is considered a sedimentary rock. Limestone, we talked about, um, sometimes can be good enough quality that uh, it's uh, like a marble and can be polished. We've got shale, dolomite rock, dark, uh, dark, dark color uh, in, in some of these descriptions. Sandstones of all different types. Quartzite, little bits of, uh, of uh, what looks like quartz that forms these uh, quartzite, which is a sedimentary rock. Mudstone. Then there's conglomerates. Conglomerates uh, are made up of many other stones that are kind of cemented together. If they become very, very solid, then it is called bracated. There's phosphorus, phosphorus sandstone, which has fossils in it. There's green mudstone, uh, kind of green and crumbly. There's a schist, which can be gray, green, all sorts of colors. Um, get us into the metamorphic family of rocks. So metamorphic, it starts off as one mineral and slowly changes into another. Metamorphic rocks, schist, greenstone, uh, slate will actually degrade, slate with quartz veins, marble is uh, metamorphosed, Uh, dopsite marble, calc silica rock, Calc, silica, rocks with uh, marble, sharn in marble. Sharn is uh kind of looks like uh mica or antennalite or something like that. It's kind of uh I don't think it is antennalite but that's what it kind of looks like. Uh marble with hematite. Serpent tonight. This is uh like a decomposed serpentine that gets reconstituted. One of our uh rock shows on uh On Google, on YouTube, brother, we had uh, found some marble that was green, which no doubt, um, the green, it was tested by some uh, colleges and geologists, and they found that there's serpentine is what makes it green. So no doubt, several miles away was uh, the Cajon Pass. It's just loaded with serpentine, and um, that makes up that rock. Greenstone, another metamorphic rock. Hornfills with... uh, meta so I guess that's a metamorphous-type quartzite, breaking down. It's different kinds of slate, red, brown, slate with pyrite crystals. Um, the normal black slate that we're accustomed to that used to be used on chalkboards back, uh, back in Abraham Lincoln's day. Um, granite Guinness. Which is a layered looking rock, kind of looks like a white frosting on top with different layers of uh, gray underneath. Uh, Bonotype genus, you got garnet type metamorphic rocks. Mica schist is a metamorphic. Garnet mica schist. All these are the rocks that you want to get familiar with in the area that you are collecting because. When they strike up against another zone, it's very likely you will find something interesting, some minerals, a different type of mineral in the area. So you need to learn what these are and um, different things. If you're a gold prospector, you're going to be looking for a certain type of rock that strikes up against another one. You're going to be looking for fault zones, and you're going to be scouring those areas, looking to see if there's something there that uh, hasn't been written about or isn't on the map. Now, I get an email from uh, junior mines, junior miners, and what it is primarily is um, they're selling mines and different things, but they send a very informative newsletter. Let me just see if I can get more information on this for you. Junior Miners News. Look that up. Junior Miners News. Again, not a uh, sponsor of the show, but you can look it up, and you can sign up for their email, and you can get some of these informative stories if you want to read these in more detail. They don't charge anything for it. There's an article here on uranium. Pretty cool. Some companies that uh, might be worth investing in, if that's your gig. They've got a funny uh, cartoon here where these cave people are living in a cave and the kids are there with their fur jackets on around the fire. And he says, Grandpa, tell us again the story of what life was like before COVID-19. Pretty funny. Um, goes into more stories about uranium and investing. Talks about the Delino Cleveland mine. Um and there's a whole video here on this where uh, they show ore carts in the tunnel there. That could be very interesting. Granite Creek Mayo Mining District in the Yukon. They have produced some 20,000 ounces of gold in their first year of mining in the Alpine location without permafrost or black muck. Um, you can click on this and find out more about this property. They've got another article on 22 high grade gold claims course, you're trying to sell this, you know, and um, you know nothing against anybody, but a lot of times they use the old stories from a long time ago to talk about all the gold that was could have been found or all the minerals that could have been found, and a lot of times that is not really what's going to happen now. Now they've got another one here where two cavemen, this is a uh, a cartoon, they're sitting there with their clubs. And one looks at the other one. He says, I have 60% of my portfolio invested in FIRE. I think it's the technology of the future. Pretty funny. Um, the article that I was kind of liking was, and there's a lot of other articles here, is the the Outland Gold Rush. And when you click on that, it takes you to a story about the uh, Alton, or Al excuse me, Atlin, Goldtown, A-T-L-I-N, and you can go to lostmines.net and look up Atlin, a gold town, and it'll come up. But it tells you here that it wasn't as big of a gold rush, and they've got a video here too, as back in the Klondike, the Klondike up there in Alaska. What a gold rush it was back in 1898. But this... Atlin Gold Rush was something to be talked about. It was something special. Two prospectors, Kenny McLaren and Fritz Miller, were two people who didn't follow the crowd. Um, They didn't go where everybody else did. They went east uh, into an area about six miles from where Atlin is uh, on Pine Creek, and they found gold, lots of it. It didn't take long for word to get out that there was gold there, and the men... Uh, took off to Dawson. Uh, that a lot of men who were in route to Dawson abandoned the idea and headed across to join into Atlin. So Dawson uh, didn't get everybody and this Pine Creek area popped up overnight. Uh, almost 10,000 people started working the creeks for the gold. And there was at its peak, there was a dozen saloons, brothels, Uh, groceries and suppliers. The town moved where it is today along the shores of Atland Lake. Mining spread to other creeks such as Spruce Creek where some of the world's largest nuggets have been found. Small settlements scatter these creeks um, as well as small groups of miners lived out along the creeks. Mining was uh just wasn't just for little guys various companies came in built large dredges on both pine and spruce creek upper spruce became famous for the Nolan mine at the tributary of spruce and dominion creek they estimate over 300,000 ounces of gold were mined from pine creek and up to 400 ounces of gold from spruce creek nuggets weighing up to 48 ounces have been found on pine creek and Gold nuggets over 80 ounces have been found on Spruce Creek. Wow! Other creeks in the area, like Birch Creek, Boulder Creek, became famous, and for their own uh, findings and things that were there. And over the years, many companies have gone and developed large placer operations. In the late 18 or 1980s, Queen Stake had a large placer operation where thousands of ounces were sluiced from this rich creek. Even today, there's still small placer miners poking around, looking for the leftovers. Other creeks in the area, such as Ruby Creek, saw a lot of placer mining. Um, also, molly exploration by Adrianic molly took center stage for a while. Early 2000s, the Danic molly was looking to develop Ruby Creek molly deposit. Roads constructed, uh, 2008, a crisis happened, the money ran out. And molly fell from $40 a pound to $12 a pound. So that kind of killed that. Um, the early 1900s, it wasn't just gold that was found, but silver was found at Mount Vegan, and soon silver was being mined, the Ruffle Silver mined, Atlin silver, as others have called it. Today, Atlin is a sleepy little town on the largest, on the edge of the largest lake in British Columbia. Summer, there's still some active placer mining, uh, probably mostly recreational. And uh, folks hoping to hit that uh, little rich glory pot. So really a cool area, a neat uh, neat area of mines that have uh, gone kind of by the wayside. Many more mines here are talked about. Some of them are really truly lost gold mines that just are not even being uh, mined anymore, like Bodie. Um but there's quite a list here maybe we'll have to go back and explore more of this. Now in an article that can be found at chinadaily.com.cn there's an article here called nation's top 100 archaeological findings of the past century listed by Wang Kaheo and we're not going to go over it all obviously I'm not going to go through a hundred different ones but the first one talks about some pottery Um, that was found, that was quite famous. And then um, the next one, (coughs) excuse me, time for coffee, is a jade work. Um, This beautiful box um, actually looks quite worn and quite aged. It looks like uh, this here, it was found, it says in China. The Neolithic period, which China uh, defines as between 10,000 and 4,000 years ago, so man's pretty much earliest history, they found this little box here carved from jade, um, quite ornate. And also uh, some of these things have been found on the north site of Hong Kong and also in uh, Taiwan. The president says these findings demonstrate... Um, how far back Chinese uh, intelligence and civilization goes and leaves a lot for them to be able to discover and uh, to keep looking and find more. So pretty cool. Um, You can look at many, many different archaeological discoveries by going and checking that out. Nations top 100 archaeological findings of the past century. Looks like they're concentrating on China a lot here. Um, They've got uh, some of the... um, Chinese soldiers that were found perhaps you remember where that huge huge discovery uh, where they made these terracotta soldiers with complete with horses just I think there was hundreds of them buried underground and they dug them all up and now they've got a few of them put aside in museums so pretty cool latest with NASA is the Lucy mission um, Lucy uh, they said... Combined from the Beatles lyric, Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds, which is a song that kind of glorifies LSD, uh, drug use. And um, quite catchy when I was a kid. I was like, oh boy, Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. You know, wow. But I had no idea anything about drugs. I was just a kid. But um, also referring to a uh, fossil that was found that they believe belonged to an ancient human ancestor. Now that's depending on who you believe. Uh, I remember it being disproven so I went back to try and look that up and um, of course several scientists are saying oh it wasn't disproven you know just because the knee was found a mile and a half away doesn't mean that it's not the knee to this particular fossil, but when you look at the fossil bones, they're very discolored. Uh, They don't seem to match up, and uh, many scientists say that this is actually an ape uh, that went extinct, but uh, not a human, and they're also doing more information on the feet. The feet don't match, and then you look at it, and it's very partial skeleton, so I mean you could hypothesize anything you want is the reality of it. Um, You can hypothesize that it is or it isn't. But in reality, nobody really knows, um, would be the honest, straight truth. But this NASA, we know who Lucy is. She is this rocket ship that uh, you can read about at CNN.com by Ashley uh, Strickland. And she wrote this on the 18th. And she talks about how they are going off to explore asteroids They are going, and that's where the name is fitting, is Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. So there's this rocket. They're calling it Lucy. They are going into the sky to go find some diamonds of information, right? So in that sense, it makes all all the sense in the world. They are going to go fly around and try to find some of these wonderful uh, asteroids and get information back to us. They have, um, uh, they're set to explore the asteroids. They're set to travel between earth with these Trojans, um, that will shoot back and forth. I get, or back to earth apparently with information and maybe samples and things like that. Probably bring back some bacteria and kill us all off the face of the planet. Uh, we're doomed. No, probably not. Um, but anyway, pretty cool launch date is uh was on the 16th so it, they've got pictures of the rocket here it looks like it was successful i'm looking forward to hearing the information that they come back from uh, finding these asteroids and landing on them that is crazy and there was some more information on the exact uh first asteroid that they were going to look at see i, I look all these over and um then I forget, I forget certain details, and sometimes I spot things I missed when I come back. So, anyway, they will be looking at these asteroids traveling between the Earth and the Trojans for hundreds of thousands, perhaps. Oh, these asteroids have been traveling for hundreds of thousands, perhaps millions of years. Okay. All right, next story. Beware. Terrifying three-foot scorpions roam the Earth. Well, at least they did at one time. If you go to newsweek.com and look up terrifying three-foot scorpion which skewered prey with spines found in China, written by Robert Leah on the 19th. They've got a video there, but there's a lot of great pictures here too. Got a lot of great information. Definitely these creatures were there. They found some pretty complete fossils. uh, Had an enlarged back limb covered with spines for ensnaring its prey. And just piercing it where it couldn't get away. This family uh, of creatures known for their specialized front arms, uh, pedal palps is what they're called. The family of sea scorpions closely reflects what we think of as a traditional scorpion large tail, enlarged front claws. This creature is no exception. It is a mix mixopterid, which has front arms and spiny spiny protrusions that are protruding out, and these were likely used as a catching basket, and its fearsome tail, tipped with a spear-like appendage, could uh, immobilize its prey with this venom, no doubt, and uh, maybe even help in the digestion process, who knows. But they have pictures of it here. They have the rock where you can actually see it in there. The team discovered this creature, the sea scorpion, they believe could have been the top predator in shallow waters of South China many millions of years ago. Um, Pretty cool finding and pretty cool article goes on and on about these creatures, how big they are, what they're learning from them. They said that this period of time where uh, these things lived, according to the rocks that they're finding, that's how they try to uh, guesstimate or they make their guesses, their educated guesses from. Um, What was that period? Because it wasn't one that I was used to hearing. Uh, Published in the Journal of Science Bulletin, um, it swam the seas of Gdwan, Gondwan, uh, Gondwana, a supercontinent that broke apart uh, many millions of years ago. An example of a mixopterid species, um, uh, also called a very bizarre animal. Here it is the Silurian period. Silurian period. Um, is what time they feel that these lived. They feel that they were all over Asia, um, but they haven't found them yet, but they're going to keep looking. I'm sure they will find them. There had to be bunches of them at one time. All right, Blue Diamond, natural color gem for possible investment. EINnews.com, under that article, you can read about this Blue Diamond. Now, why is it a possible investment? Well, Probably out of most of our budgets would be to have bought this stone. Um, In 2014, Petra Diamonds recovered a 26.6 carat blue diamond in the Kullinan mine. It's natural, extraordinary saturation, tone, and clarity. In February of the same year, the stone was sold for $25.6 million. Now, you could... Of bought that, had it cut down to only 12 carat, to a 12 carat cushion cut, and renamed it the Blue Moon, and then you could have sold it two years later, or one year later, in 2015, the Blue Moon was sold for $50 million in a Geneva auction. So, amazing. Another uh, Blue Diamond from Petra Diamonds in the same year, was a 122.52-carat blue diamond called the Cullinan Dream. The stone was sold for $27 million. Now, when that thing is cut, uh, I'm sure (laughs) many, many pieces out of it will sell for many, many dollars uh, untold amounts. So blue diamonds are super, super rare. They're not as rare as red ones, but they are highly collectible. Very desirable. Okay. Meteorology. We are going to talk about meteorology. If you are someone who wants to get into jewelry making, metalsmithing, uh, silver work, gold work, any of these things, you want the Complete Metalsmith book by Tim McCreet. And um, that book... I believe is published by Davis, I think. Davis. And you will want to get that. The complete metal smith. Meteorology is a very complex, highly technical field that is worthy of every rock hound's attention, every lapidariist, every silversmith. It's helpful for a metalsmith to understand the structure and behavior of metals because it can explain what happens. your art studio when you're working with the metal. One of the things that's in metals that a lot of people don't think about is its formation which is crystals. Metals exist at room temperature as crystals. You look down with a microscope you're going to see regularly shaped arrangements in orderly reoccurring patterns called space lattice. There's seven crystal systems, 14 lattice configurations, and there's a list of them that you can find in the complete metalsmith. Now, crystal shape is one of the factor that determines its malleability, how easy it is to form it into something. So, you will find that a face-centered cube, uh, cubic is going to be very malleable because this is a type of crystal. A face-centered cubic is in lead, copper, aluminum, gold, silver, nickel, and iron. Now, something that's going to be maybe a little harder to form is a body-centered cubic. And chromium, lithium, uh, mal- malignum, potassium, sodium, vanadium, and iron at room temperature are made up of these crystals. Then there's a hexagonal close-packed crystal. So you've got valerium, uh cadmium, cobalt, magnesium, uh, ty- titanium, zinc. So those are other ones. All of these are metals and they all have their benefits and they all have different ways of working with them. Now, something else that happens to metal, uh, when it's heated to its melting point and it loses its crystalline organization, it becomes fluid. When the heat is removed as the metal cools, it reestablishes its crystal pattern, starting with the first areas to cool. Many of the clusters of the crystals start to form simultaneously having all the same order but not necessarily the same orientation. So, when you see how the crystals form, it's one here, one there, and then groups and clumps, and then those all group together. The crystals, when they are annealed, they are further apart. They're bigger and further apart. When they are work hardened, they are tiny and they are closer together, closer together. And crystals move most easily within a semi-ordered structure. Crystals um, that are tight and jammed together result in metal that is tough and difficult to work with. When metal is worked, large crystals are broken into smaller ones which create more grain boundaries. Grain boundaries are what we use to refer to work hardened metal or whatever type of metal you're working with, silver, gold, whatever. A similar condition is created when metal is rapidly cool because the crystals do not have time to grow in organized structure the metal recrystallizes into many small grains. In time, even at room temperature, crystals will realign themselves into organized lattice. By heating the metal, we accelerate the movement of the atoms and subsequent recrystallization happens. This process is called annealing. Deformation is when something is forced or force is applied to the metal and this process is called elastic deformation. This is where stress is applied and the metal is pushed but it kind of bounces back, it kind of bends back, right? It will bounce back, deformation. But once it hits the point where it permanently bends, that becomes the deformation, okay? So it's elastic when it bounces in a point of deformation but it becomes deformed once it is permanently in that shape. Bent metal process is called plastic deformation. Each alloy that we talked about, because of its different crystal formation, has unique limits of its elasticity and plastic deformation abilities. So you need to know how to work with those different metals to get the best out of them, and which ones are going to be easier to work with. Of course, the softer ones that we talked about that are easily annealed with the flame and re-softened. If you looked at my video on YouTube about resizing the ring or the coin rings, especially the coin rings. If you look at the coin rings, I think those are actually better because I torch those up and anneal them and stretch them and then anneal them and stretch them over and over again so you can see how that process works. Annealing is a process of reducing stress in the metal by heating it to its prescribed temperature. This can be with a, done with a torch or a kiln. Um, temperatures are gauged by watching the heat color change, something that is best seen in dimly lit area. Sometimes paste can uh, a flux can be pasted on there as a temperature indicator, and uh, it is clear on, uh, I think, silver at about 1,100 degrees Fahrenheit or 593 degrees Celsius and then quench it into cool water Um, and then if you want to get rid of that uh, flux you want to put it in a pickle and get the burnt part off and clean that pickle is an acid so be sure and use proper PPE but this softens it again you don't have to use the flux Um, you can heat silver up to kind of a dull red almost a black color Um, as the redness disappears um, and then quench it. Okay, You get it it where it's just red hot, the red kind of goes away, you drop it in the water, quench it. This works good for 14 karat gold, 10 karat gold, red gold, sterling, fine silver, and copper. Um, So you will heat them anywhere from a medium red quench um, to a bright red. Um, It says white gold, nickel-based brass, those are ones you want to get bright red and air cool. Air cool those. So be sure and look up all the information um, and double check everything. Don't. Uh, this isn't a guide. This is just information so that you can go and be aware of how metallurgy works, how uh, basic annealing, how it softens the metal so that you can work with it, and that there's certain procedures that you need to do to be able to do that properly. Now. Let's talk about one metal, uh, gold. And we're going to go into some details on gold. The melting point of gold is 1,945 degrees Fahrenheit or 1,063 degrees Celsius. The hardness is only about a two to a two and a half. So uh, right about fingernail strength there. Specific gravity, super heavy, 19.23 specific gravity, Fluxes for pouring gold. If you're going to pour gold, you want to use a mixture of powdered charcoal and uh, ammonium chloride, and you do that on the metal while melting it. That will yield a bright, tough ingot that will withstand rolling. Dangerous fumes are produced from this, so ventilation is required. Um, if iron or steel is present in that, uh, because of a file or something like that, purify the scraps by melting with a flux of one part potassium nitrate, which is called salt pepper, or saltpeter rather, and two parts potassium uh, carbonate. After cooling, remelt with the sal ammoniac flux and pour the metal into the mold. So there's one uh, one technique for doing that. Um, It says here on page four that voluntary product standard of 70 to 76%, the US law has set tolerances for gold since 1976, allows variations of three parts per thousandths on unsoldered goods and seven parts per thousandths on soldered objects. This is called plum, plum gold. Manufacturers are given till 1981 to dispose of their old merchandise made at lower standards. So. You do have to be aware that uh, you want to make sure that your gold, when it was put together and constructed, is done properly. And that is to call it whatever carrot you're calling it. You want to make sure that it stays that carrot, Okay? Gold was probably the second metal to be worked by early humans. Um, probably copper was first. All the gold found, only 20 tons were cast into ingot. Uh, That would make only a 20-yard cube, if all the gold ever found. 20,000 tons. That's how much gold they estimate at the time of the writing. That would only make a 20-yard cube. That's not a lot of gold in the whole earth. That's why it's so rare. One ounce of gold can be flattened out into a sheet that will cover a hundred square feet or drawn into a wire that will go almost a mile long. Gold can also be made into a foil that is less than five millionths of an inch thick. At this point, it is semi-transparent, and that's why it's used in the glass for uh, astronaut, or used to be used for astronaut. Um, the shield that they would look through is got a little bit of gold in it. Pickles for gold include Sparix, number two, a mixture of one part nitric acid, which is a, a reagent grade with eight parts water. Gold dissolves in aqua regia, which is a solution of chlorine with potassium cyanide uh, or sodium cyanide. So very dangerous stuff, be very very careful. Um, this is a lot of reasons why people don't uh, big gold mines don't use these type of chemicals to leach out in the field anymore. They do it under very controlled environments. Um, where they're looking, they have uh, layer after layer of layers where they do that. They have to keep animals away because they fall in and they die. So, um, very dangerous um, chemicals there for doing that type of processing. Probably something you would never want to do. Purity of carrots, fine pure gold is too soft for most uses, except for sure uh, pretty, if you can find crystallized pure gold. It's allied usually with other metals which achieved its desired hardness. During that process, the color and malleability and melting point can be altered. Silver and copper are the two most common additives, but other metals can be used too. Relative amount of gold in an alloy is called a carat. The word signifies a proportion and should not be confused with a carat, which is a weight for like diamonds and things like that. Um, A carat is a fraction of 24 is the denominator. So 18 carat. Uh, 18 24 fourths or three-quarters, this tells us the allied is 75% gold. By law, metal described as 18 karat must be at least 75% gold. The remainder of the allied is not restricted by law, which only specifies a portion of precious metal. Now maybe you've heard of gold filled. What is that? The term refers to a material which a layer of gold has been bonded by fusing. The result ingot is rolled or drawn to make a sheet and a wire. The standard practice is to clad the base with 10% weight of 12 carat gold. Since 12 carat is half as pure, this means the final result, if it were melted down and assayed, would result in about 5% pure gold. This is marked as 1 20th GF, gold filled. The technique has two advantages over plating. A thicker layer of gold can be achieved and the gold is denser because it has been worked. The term rolled gold refers to similar material that has only half as thick a gold layer as 1 40th. So that is much smaller. Um, They talk about the different carats and how much gold that really equates to. So if you have 10 carats, you have about 41.7% gold. If you have 18 carats, you have about 75% gold. And as you go up to 22 and three quarter carat, you have almost 95% pure gold. That's gonna be very soft. Um, Usually the best gold that you'll see out there in jewelry is about 18 carat, which means you get about 75% gold. Now, (coughs) alloys are a mixture of roughly equal parts of gold and silver, that is called electrum and that is something you can see in the bible goes way back Um, beautiful um, sometimes can have uh, give a green color when it's stretched very fine maximum hardness of this alloy is at a 50 50 percent mix the hardest alloy of gold silver and copper is reached with a 50 25 25 this will be 12 karat yellow gold Increase of copper content in gold alloy up to 18% will lower its melting point to continue lowering as when making solder and silver. So you don't want it that soft. Many kinds of colors of gold solder are commercially available, but in a pinch, a lower karat gold may be used. White gold usually has 10 to 20% nickel and contains zinc, copper, or magnesium. It has no silver. White gold, by the way, is flat. It is not shiny. That is a coating that is put on your ring. It wears off. Um, I'm allergic to it. When I wear it, my skin breaks out. I cannot wear white gold. So I wear silver. I like silver. Testing. If you want to test, different ways you can do it. Um, one is you take a small file and you make a scratch somewhere in an inconspicuous spot, wear rubber gloves. Uh, Use wood or glass or plastic stick to apply a drop of nitric acid to this spot and look at the reaction. When done, rinse everything off in a well-running water. So with this uh, little little drop of nitric acid, what are we looking for? Um, We're looking for no reaction, then it's gold. Um, Bright green bubbling all over, there's a base metal. Green only in the scratch, then it is a gold layer over a base metal. A milky um, kind of color in the scratch, then you have gold on silver, because silver melts uh, will dissolve in nitric acid. So what carrot is it? Determining carrot requires a testing kit. It has in that testing kit, nitric acid, aqua regia, you have metal samples of known carrot, Touchstones, such as slate and creamic. If you're not familiar with the touchstone, this is something you rub a mineral on for a particular color. You can rub the object on the test stone called touching. It'll leave a streak, make a parallel line on the stone with one of the test needles, flood both marks with acid, and observe the reactions. When the two streaks change color at the same time, a match has been made. Nitric acid is used for low karat golds and Aqua regia is used for high carat golds. Now, there's also some formulas to alloy down the carat amount or to alloy up the carat amount. And um, you will want to get a copy of The Complete Metal Smith and turn to page five if you want to find out what that is. If you are going to get into working with gold, very expensive. Um, if you want to do gold smithing, I I wish I could, I just, I'm just not that, I just don't have that kind of money. (laughs) Silver is uh, about all I can manage, so I really enjoy working with silver, it's quite easy, and um, I don't have to worry about, uh, you know, having thousands and thousands of dollars just to be able to have a little bit of material to work with, so. Anyway, guys, that about wraps it up for today's podcast, again, we're, Asking you kindly, please support our channel. Um, We do all this for you for free. And uh, there's not a lot of uh, podcasts out there. There's not a lot of information like this. So we're really trying to get our subscriber up to 1,000 on YouTube and increase our podcast um, members. Let me know what you're interested in. You can find us on Facebook, MeWe, um, Parlor. You can look us up, all those different ways. You can go to our... um, where else? Well, YouTube has a new member section where you can comment. Um, what else? Um, there's one other thing. Oh, I have a blog. The blog, all the links are at the bottom of RadicalRocks.com. You just scroll all the way down the bottom. Yes, I have a store. I have items. Just scroll all the way down to the bottom. There's all the links. Very straightforward. You can hook up with us and support our channel just by being a member. Not... Doesn't cost you anything. It's just signing up, subscribing, liking, sharing, and all that good stuff. We really appreciate it, guys. Until next time, remember rock hounds don't die, they petrify.